This is episode four of the Check 50 podcast. My name is Ty Gonzalez, joined as always by Colby Patno, covering the Seattle Seahawks a week after the 2021 NFL draft. Well, a little under a week after the, uh, or no, actually, yeah, it's it's exactly a week uh, from, uh, or uh, it was exactly a week ago from today. Uh, that day one of the NFL draft started. So uh, the Seahawks ended up making just three picks after entering the draft with three picks. They they did make two trades uh, in the draft, but again, they, they only end up making three selections, getting Dwayne Eskridge, the wide receiver out of Western Michigan in the second round, and cornerback Trey Brown out of Oklahoma in the fourth round, and eventually trading up to take Florida offensive tackle Stone Forsyth in the sixth round. Colby, you know, what were your overall thoughts of this draft? Uh, you know, obviously we're going to get a little bit deeper into it. This this whole episode is going to be about the draft and, and kind of our thoughts. But, you know, what was your overall first impressions? Kind of, uh, you know, just the idea that they that they ended up or, or, or the, rather the fact that they ended up just taking three players after all the speculation about where they would trade down, how many picks they would end up with, all that. And uh, what do you think about the players they ended up with? Yeah, it was um, it was certainly not really expected. Um, you know, I, I think the belief, you know, pretty much for, for all of us was that Seattle was going to trade down from 56, maybe even you know, a couple of times and it sounds like they maybe had a deal to do that, but it fell through kind of similar to what happened last year where they were going to trade their pick to green Bay. So green Bay could take love, but then, you know, green Bay traded with Miami one pick before and Seattle took Brooks because they couldn't come up with another trade down in in 10 minutes. So um, sounds like that was kind of the situation here, but uh you know, as it stands, what they got, it's a three-man draft class, which is, I would have bet, I would have lost a ton of money on, uh, if I had bet on, you know, the over-under for Seahawks draft picks. Um, but the, the class is, it's interesting. It's different. Um, you know, they, they broke a couple of molds here. Uh, well, one mold really. Um, they, they broke tendency for the Seahawks, which... You know, I mean, for the rest of the NFL is, is you know, just drafting like normal drafting. But uh, that that's tendency breaking for Seattle. So, um, yeah, it was a uh, interesting draft weekend. It was um, pretty easy to follow, you know, particularly on Saturday. Um, I, I didn't even watch on Saturday, but hey, you know what? You only get two picks. Um, so it, it wasn't all that hard to uh to follow along so uh yeah it, it was a an interesting draft uh for seattle it was uh different it was off script and uh, at the end of the day i actually liked it so uh yeah it was i would say a successful draft for seattle yeah i think when you uh you, you know you look at how the draft played out um i think you know possibly you you, you like you, you would rather had traded back uh, in the second round there, but it was clear that the Seahawks were very much uncomfortable with the, the uh, kind of the whole deal with this draft, right? The, the uncertainty of it all with guys, you know, a ton of guys opting out and, you know, not a ton of medical evaluations being done. Um, all that, um, you know, that kind of played into the, the whole, you know, buildup of this draft. 
Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't shy about saying that either. They, you know, they said that it was a part of the reason that they traded for Jamal Adams uh, last year, that that played a factor in them trading a first rounder and a third rounder in this draft for Jamal. It played a factor in, in them trading another pick for Carlos Dunlap. Um, you know, it, 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 it really, you know, it really showed just how little faith and little confidence that they had in this class. And, and they felt better about, you know, making the picks that they had, you know, identifying a couple of guys that they really liked. And they did that a lot with, with stone Forsyth specifically where they kind of built their day three around drafting stone Forsyth, Forsyth where, you know, they were considering multiple trade downs in the second round or in the fourth round rather to accumulate ammunition to go up and trade up for stone Forsyth, um, which is what they ended up doing, making a smaller trade up from two, uh, 217 to 208. And they didn't use a future pick to trade back into this draft. They, they very much had the opportunity to use one of their fourth rounders next year to do so. Um, they could have done that with a sixth round pick to, to get back into the seventh. They could have done a lot of stuff there. They ended up not. And, uh, you know, again, they, they just make three picks. And it, it was very clear that they were comfortable in moving on to uh, to undrafted free agency and putting most of their focus there. They seem very, um, you know, excited to to recruit in uh, undrafted free agency. And they came away with a pretty, pretty darn good class as well. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of those guys um, in that group later on in the show but yeah i think you know this is really uh, it's indicative of their uh of their lack of confidence in this um in this class you know just the whole all of it um but you know i i think you know you look at the second round here and Dwayne eskridge was a guy that you and i both really liked um or at least i really liked and, and you had drafted him in uh, our mock draft that we did last week mm-hmm. um yeah, like pick you know, 77. A, yeah. Um, which, I mean, you know, Eskridge after the senior bowl was getting first round buzz. Um, and then, you know, as some of these uh, guys started coming up and uh, the rest of his draft process, you know, uh, teams kind of not necessarily fell out of love with him, but his stock did go down. Um, and, you know, I think overall, though, you know, when I saw Eskridge at the Senior Bowl, and and again, the Senior Bowl has played a key role in in um, the Seahawks' interests with the draft, uh, very clearly, because you know Trey Brown was another guy that was at the Senior Bowl that they drafted. Um, it's been a kind of a key, you know, constant for the Seahawks in, in most of their drafts. Guys that stand out at the Senior Bowl, and uh, you know, you you look at him converted uh, running back. He, he's He's played some cornerback when, when he's had to for Western Michigan. He, he, you know, primarily he is a receiver. You, you look at Shane Waldron's offense, right? You look at some of the stuff that they're going to do with the jet fly sweeps, all that stuff. And Eskridge was pretty clearly a really strong fit for that offense. And, and that's something that I told you uh, last week when you know you were kind of asking about him and uh, you know before you you made the pick of the mock and. Um, you know, and we we know that the Seahawks they don't go by what the draft boards say outside of their organization, right? They have their select guys that they target. 
and uh, they're not going to deviate from that. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them to have had an early second round, maybe even a first round grade on Dwayne Eskridge, just because of how well he fits what they're going to try to do. Yeah, it's um, you know it. It's interesting, uh, you know, every year I, I get reminded around this time of year of some of my, you know, like sports pet peeves, one of them being mm-hmm. draft grades. Um, right. Seattle not getting too high of grades in this particular draft. Um, and here, here's the problem with draft grades is, is that draft grades are given by, quote, draft experts, right? Well, they can, you can get an A from El Kuyper very easily you know what Mel Kuyper's big board looks like. Just take the highest guy on his big board and you'll get an A. Does that mean you're going to get a great draft class out of it? No, it doesn't. So, you know, anytime you see, oh, well, Seattle reached for, for Eskridge. Well, that's your opinion of how, you know, you read somebody else's board and you decided to adapt mm-hmm. that as your own board. You probably didn't put in the work uh, that Mel Kuyper did, uh, that Todd McShay did, that, you know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah did. You probably didn't put in the work like they did. Um, so when you say, oh, well, Mel Kuyper gave them a D plus for that pick. Who cares what Mel Kuyper thinks? Mel Kuyper thought Russell Wilson was Seneca Wallace. Like the dude's not batting a thousand and it doesn't matter what he thinks. He doesn't like the, he doesn't like the Dwayne Eskridge pick because he had other players rated higher than Eskridge. That's it. You know, it's, it's selfish. It's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that when you say, well, I really like this guy, this team disagreed. So I'm going to give them a bad grade because they didn't agree with my initial assessment. That's stupid. Draft grades are stupid. So, um, you know, anytime you see somebody, oh, Seattle's only got a C from so-and-so, who cares? Who cares? Those guys aren't always right. And they're biased. They want their board to be as accurate as possible. So, of course, they're going to give guys who go off the beaten path, you know, lower grades. Remember, they gave the 2012 Seahawks draft class an F. You know, the one that produced Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, and Russell freaking Wilson. They gave him an F. So it it, it doesn't matter. Draft grades don't matter. So when, when you see Dwayne Eskridge, like, oh, that's a third-round guy. They took in the second. According to who? Like, did you put in the work to decide that? Or are you just going to let Mel Kuyper tell you that that's a reach because Mel Kuyper had Dwayne Eskridge as, you know, the third-best wide receiver on the board still. And the Seahawks had him as the best wide receiver still on the board. Like who cares? So yeah, yeah. it, um, the whole, the whole draft grade thing. The other thing, by the way, is I, I've heard this a lot. Well, Seattle should have drafted a center. They should have drafted a guard. They shouldn't have drafted a wide receiver with their second pick. If you can't tell me specifically who you wanted Seattle to pick at 56 and why that would have been a better pick than Dwayne Eskridge, then shut up. You sit here, oh, well, they should have taken a center. Which one? It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. It absolutely matters. Which one did you want? And why did you want it? And why is that better than Eskridge? And if you can't answer all three of those questions, then why the hell do I care what you think? It doesn't make sense to me. So, um, yeah, the Eskridge one was certainly... It was an interesting pick. I, I think, you know, I certainly understand people who said, oh, well, I wanted Quinn Miners. I wanted, um, you know, I wanted Josh Myers. Yeah, Creed, like, okay, cool. Why? Well, because he plays center. So, <laughs> like, what difference does it make? Um, 
the other thing, final thing on that pick, uh, since when do people care so much about age, like the age of a prospect in the NFL, when most careers last two, two and a half years and the really good careers last six or seven? Like, what is with people? Oh, well, of course, Seattle will draft the 24 year old wide receiver. Why does that matter? Do you, can you explain that to me, Ty? Why does it matter that Eskridge is 24 years old? I mean, I said the exact same thing to you. Uh, you were, I, you know, I asked you the exact same thing after the Eskridge pick. It's just like, why are people so obsessed with this? Um, you know, for for us that that have a you know background in covering baseball at a very amateur level, but you know, we uh, you know age matters a lot more in baseball, right? You know, it's I mean, you you wouldn't want to draft a a 24 year old in baseball because. <laughs> You know, by the time he comes up to the major leagues, he's going to be like 27, 28. Um, mm-hmm. But in football, you know, this is a guy that's going to produce for you right away. And, you know, I know I know people see the likes of LJ Collier, right, who are on the older side and hasn't worked out as great, you know, so far. And, and, and that's fine. But I don't think that's because the guy is 24 years old. And by the way. 24 years old you're not they're not in a wheelchair they're not one foot in the grave here <laughs> you know the Dwayne Eskridge at 24 years old can still play 10 years effectively in the NFL you know if, if he wants you know it, it, we don't know right we we really don't know how far this is gonna go um the 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 age thing is silly because again like you said a lot of guys retire at the age of 30 just out of nowhere football is a incredibly dangerous game it's not a long-term game for a lot of people right it is very rare that people that players you know have 15 20 year careers and wide receivers never have that right so i don't think it really matters uh plus eskridge doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires really um you know so uh it, it i'm not concerned about that um yeah, I, I really, it, it really shouldn't matter because if the guy is good, then the guy is good. And you, if you're a team that only has three picks in this draft and you have Super Bowl aspirations, you want guys that can produce for you right away. And if Eskridge, because of his age, is a little more advanced than maybe another, you know, a player, another prospect, I mean, that's a good pick. To me, you know, if he can produce for you this year, then yeah. And again, he fits exactly what they need, right? He can do all the all the jet sweep stuff, all the all the stuff behind the line of scrimmage, and he's really good after the catch, right? That's that's what he was really good at. Um, mm-hmm. Not a not a fantastic route runner, but he can win in the short, uh, you know, areas. He he, he can. He, he has some work to needed to be done uh, in the intermediate game, but he can take the top off of defense. Seahawks obviously love that. They have two other burners in Tyler Lockett and, and DK Metcalf. Obviously, Lockett's lost a step, as he admitted, uh, after the broken leg, but he's still incredibly fast and still can get behind a defense. DK Metcalf is literally you know a freak of nature. We have never seen a player like that. And then you add Eskridge to it with his 4-3 speed. I mean, 
that's that's a, an incredibly dangerous group. Uh, I I thought that was a fantastic pick for them. If they were going to stick and pick, um, that was one of the guys that I was hoping for uh, for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know it. Um, it's it's a scheme fit, right? It's also a, another. Um, I don't know. Let's call it a gift to Russell Wilson. Sure. It's you know it's an appeasement. It's a it's a it's a player that honestly it's more of a gift to uh, it's more of a gift to Shane Waldron, right? And you know and that's the thing here is that, is that Waldron is is might be the biggest addition of the offseason. That's Russell's guy. That's the guy Russell wanted. He got him, and then they go out and because they have Waldron now they go get Gerald Everett, who's going to help them add more speed to the tight end room, something they really lacked last mm-hmm. year. Now they go out and they get him Dwayne Eskridge. You can do all the fly sweep, all the screens, all the all the end arounds. He can play even a little bit of running back if you need him to. He can do all of that. Also a very willing blocker as a wide receiver, which is something we know that Pete really wants. Um, he's a yep. little more physical than people give him credit for. He's small, but he's not microscopic. I saw oh, he's so he's such a little guy. It's like he's like 5'9, 190. Like that's that's pretty well built. You mentioned he's got the elite speed that that the Seahawks really like. Um, he can play inside. He can play outside. Uh, he's just a nice little chess piece that Waldron can move around, um, and it gives Seattle, you know, it fills one of Seattle's biggest needs. A lot of people, you know, they focus, oh, center, 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 center. Well, wide receiver three was a big need. Before they drafted Eskridge, the wide receiver three was Freddie Swain. Now, I like Freddie Swain. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. Do I want him to, you know, be the uncontested number three wide receiver this year? No, no, I don't. So Eskridge is, is a great bet. He also returns kicks and punts, something that you you need help with. He also plays uh, he also plays a little gunner on special teams. He's pretty good at that as well. Um, you know, special teams was a pretty big part of the Seahawks draft. We'll probably talk about that as well. Um, but it, it always is. We know how important special teams is to Pete Carroll and to, to the Seahawks, and Eskridge helps you out there. So it's a guy who can help you on offense. He can do all that. He can stretch the defense both vertically and horizontally, which is something that you really want to do in this Ram style of offense. And I think it's also a pretty good indicator that Pete's going to let Waldron, you know, run this thing as much as he has anybody else. You remember the first year they brought in Schottenheimer and they said that what, like 80% of the offense stayed the same. Yep. Yep. I I think that number's probably going to be closer to 60, 65%. I think they're going to let Waldron incorporate a lot of what he wants. And again, that's partly to, um, you know, to appease Russell Wilson, but it also helps your offensive line. Like if you can't get the guys to block the Aaron Donalds and all that stuff, how do you make them not effective? Well, you run at them and then you get the ball out so quick that they can't, you know, that they're not going to build up sacks against you. They're not going to build up negative plays because you're getting the ball out of your hand. Well, that's something that Dwayne Eskridge really helps you with. And so while he's not going to help with the pass blocking per se, he's going to help you get the ball out quicker on screens, on shovel passes, on end arounds, on, reverses whatever he's going to help you do that and by the way he can take the top off of a defense like you mentioned so it, it's a it's a great pick it's it fits it fills a need it's a player that you know fits your offense your new offense perfectly mm-hmm. what's not to like I, I i don't and and he can help you in the return game as well yes uh, 
he uh, he did it for the first time last year uh, at Western Michigan returning kicks. He he had a touchdown return um, in one of their few games. I mean, here let's look at these stats real quick because they're incredible for for Dwayne Eskridge last year. Yeah, that's um, one of the things people are like, oh, he's never had over 800 yards, and it's like. He had like 780 in six games last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, and he wasn't, yeah, he so, just started playing wide receiver. So, yeah. So, six six games last year in a COVID shortened season, mm-hmm. he had 33 catches in those six games for 768 yards. Tw- he averaged 23.3 yards a catch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and he also had eight touchdowns. I want to pull up uh, PFF here real quick um, and uh, look at some of the yards after the catch stuff that he did last year. Um, just one second. It's being slow. But, you know, what he was able to do uh, last year, and, and again, you know, not just on the receiving end, but as a kick returner, and we'll see if maybe he factors into the punt return game, that's also something that I want to talk about a little bit here as we get into Trey Brown and some of the undrafted free agents because they really emphasized special teams yep. um, in this draft. And, and Dwayne Eskridge, by the way, not just uh, going to be uh, you know possibly a factor on kick returns and all that. He's probably also going to be one of their gunners. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, Trey Brown as well. Uh, but here, let me grab these... While you pull that up, it's worth noting that Dwayne Eskridge also led all of college football in yards per target. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that that's elite stuff. And I, I, I think the one thing I see a lot about him is that, oh, it's Western Michigan. Oh, it's Western Michigan. It's the Mac. It's like, well, yeah. And if he wasn't, you know, if he didn't look like a you know, a player at Alabama going up against a bunch of high school kids. And I would see why that would be concerning to some, but you watch the tape. He's just faster than everybody in the Mac. He's just better than everybody in the Mac. Now he's finally going to get, you know, good quarterback play. I mean, the whole, hey, you know, you, Western Michigan you know, who also, you know, who also came from the Mac and obviously, you know, hate him per, you know, for Antonio Brown personally, but yeah, Antonio Brown. Also, Corey Davis. Player. Corey Davis, yep. Just Played signed at Mid- a, Western Michigan. Yep. I think he just signed. He was the number five, five overall pick. Played in a bad offense for a couple years, but then, you know, Ryan Tannehill comes along. He plays pretty well, and I think he just got $40 million in free agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the conference thing doesn't bother me at all. It, but By the way, that is another trend that Seattle bucked here is they went small school, um, at least mm-hmm. in the, with the first pick. So... Uh, that's not something they do typically. Seattle likes to draft guys from you know bigger. At least not early on. At least right. not early on. Right. Yeah. Certainly not with um, their first pick. Yeah. Uh, but they have gone small school before with some of their wideouts. Uh, David Moore was out of what East seventh Central. Yeah, but yeah, uh, like you said, seventh round pick. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge last year, fourteen point four yards um, after the catch. Uh, per reception uh, 489 yards after the catch in total that's I mean that's ridiculous um, mm-hmm. 
especially at six games. You know, that, that's the thing to, to keep in mind here. Uh, he was only in the slot 16.9% of the time. He's definitely going to play a, a bit of everywhere, which I think might lead to, you know, what Tyler Lockett was talking about in his press conference a couple of weeks ago that he might play in, in the slot more this year. Um, so that's, you know, that's going to be interesting to see how they, how they hammer all that out. You know, they also got Freddie Swain and they got, you know, some pretty interesting undrafted free agents as well. Mm-hmm. But um, before we talk about those guys, let's talk about Trey Brown. Um, because this is a guy that when they drafted him, I was a little concerned. Um, I was a little, you know, I was, a, yeah. I was left scratching my head a little bit um, because, you know, you see five foot nine, 29 inch arms, not a Seahawk outside corner, but we had talked about this. Um, but this was, this was definitely pretty surprising. Uh, I kind of assumed that this is probably going to be a guy that plays in the slot for them. Uh, but Pete and John, pretty quick to dismiss that saying that he, he's going to compete on the outside uh this this offseason or, or this uh this camp and um you know we we had talked about this uh that dj reed and what he was able to do last year uh at the end of last year greatly impressed the seahawks and kind of changed their philosophy and now here we go um you know again five foot nine 29 inch arms uh it's <laughs> He's the furthest thing from a sea hockey corner, quote unquote. And um, he was really good last year. He was really good throughout his collegiate career. Um, he allowed a uh, an opponent passer rating of forty six point two last year. Um, Here's uh, I believe yeah. there was that. What was that? What was that one that said twenty six point nine? I've got it right here. Um, Seahawks newest cornerback, Trey Brown. This is from Pro Football Focus Draft. Um, mm-hmm. Lowest passer rating allowed in single coverage in, two, in uh, 2021 draft class, 26.9. Uh, yeah. That was the passer rating against him in single coverage. Um, quick follow-up note on that. Trey Brown didn't allow 70-plus yards in, a, in coverage in any game over the last two seasons. And so that's incredibly impressive when you consider the talent he's gone up against. He's gone up the, against pretty much every good receiver that's come through the draft over the last couple of years. I'm talking about Jamar Chase, Terrace Marshall, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, um, Henry Ruggs. You know, the, the list goes on. Jalen Rager. The list goes on and on. Um the this is not you know him beating up on bad you know competition this is the elite of the elite in college football let's let's not sugarcoat things Ty. he's not being asked to cover the university of washington's wide receivers something that you could probably do with a couple red bulls he he's going up against you know in conference he's going up against bas- basketball on grass uh, where it's not uncommon for games to get into you know the 40s and 50s and in college football playoffs and out of conference schedules, like you mentioned, he's going up against Alabama, Oklahoma, or uh, Ohio State. Uh, I mean, he's going up against like legit uh, NFL first round picks, and he's held his own. So, um, Trey Brown, like it was, it was weird because I I'd never heard of him to be honest with you. Um, 
and I, they, I saw that they had traded down and there was a couple of guys corners who I thought made sense um, that went right after that uh, and then you know they get back on the clock and and I don't I I thought Keith Taylor was going to be the pick um, right and that that's who I wanted them to pick and they take Trey Brown and I'm like who who, who the hell is Trey Brown um and uh, yeah, you know, it, it was interesting. The good news is it made me feel better almost immediately. Daniel Jeremiah really likes Trey Brown. And to me, Daniel Jeremiah is the best in the business right now. Um, and then obviously you learn a little bit more about the guy and you learn about, you know, it feels like he gets labeled as feisty just because he's a smaller guy. Um, but when you watch, you know, what highlights you can find of him, it's pretty accurate, <laughs> pretty accurate. Um, he it's, plays very much with that Seahawks attitude, yeah. right? The, 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 you know, and he, and I believe he said that he was very much inspired by the, the Legion of Boom and, and all that coming up. So, um, you know, you look at the way that he plays, it's an incredibly aggressive play style. And at times, you know, you may need to dial that back a bit. Uh, he had some, you know, uh, quite a few penalties, pass interference, holding stuff of the like. Uh, in college, but you would, I, I honestly, I think you would rather have that than have a guy that's a little too timid, which has been kind of the the case with a uh, Trey Flowers, yeah. right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is a a great move for for a Seahawk team that needed to get a little more attitude in its play style, um, in the, uh, you know, from their cornerbacks. Yeah. Um, you know, guys that can get up and press at the line and, you know, talk some, talk some ish, you know, as well. And I think, uh, he's going to do that, you know, and DJ, you pair that with DJ Reed and we'll see if they're actually going to be willing to start both of those guys opposite one another, because both of those guys are five foot nine, you know, mm-hmm. but they, they've continued to buck this trend and, you know, Trey Brown ha- has proven time and time again, his size really doesn't matter uh he's gone up against the jerry judy's and all those guys in the world and he's fared incredibly well um by the way oh well you here i'll let i'll let you uh wrap up your thought real quick no no, i I was just gonna say you know um he also has a knack for taking the football away um something Mm -hmm. that uh you know obviously seattle struggled with in the past um, and I think this is a clear indicator from Pete Carroll um, that he understands the way the game is going right now. And yes, look, uh, Pete still wants his long corners, of course. I mean, he signed, or well, Seattle signed to kill a Witherspoon. They signed uh, Pierre Desir. It sounds like Richard Sherman is at least still a possibility. How great of one, I don't know, but they're at least leaving that door open. So they still want length there. But I think when you look at this is Pete acknowledging that the game is so much more about playing in space than it is playing in a phone booth. And when Brandon Browner and Richard Sherman and Byron Maxwell were just mugging guys at the line of scrimmage, length mat- the length mattered a lot. But now you're kind of playing this, you know, this this horizontal game as much as you are a vertical game. And you need speed. You need quickness. You need agility. And, you know, DJ Reed and, uh, and Trey Brown, they certainly bring that in spades as well as top in speed. Um, so it, it's kind of an acknowledgement, I think, from Pete that, hey, look, the game is changing. We need to adapt. DJ Reed showed us that, you know, length in this scheme 
while we prefer it, it's not required. And it can actually help you against some of these offenses that we go against, like the Rams and the 49ers. So I think it's, I think it's another, you know, point to the people who say, Oh, well, Pete will never adapt. Pete never changes. And that's a problem. Well, he keeps doing it. I mean, he changed his whole defensive philosophy. They're, they're a bear front now. You know, that's not something that Pete, Pete was not supposed to do that. Pete was not supposed to allow a pass first offense. Seattle threw the ball 64% of the time last year. So it, it just, it's another point to Pete Carroll that says, look, Pete is willing to change. And that narrative that he's just stuck in his ways, it just needs to die. It's just not true. So, uh, you know, Trey Brown, kind of another example of, hey, we're willing to adapt to the game that we're playing in now. And uh, it, it's again, I probably still would rather have Keith Taylor. That's because I watch Keith Taylor a lot. You know, it, it's and I'm not qualified to tell you that Keith Taylor is better than than Trey Brown. I don't know for sure. Would I have preferred Keith Taylor? Yeah, because I think he's safer. But Trey Brown is certainly oozing upside. And once again, kick, uh, you know, special teams guy. Uh, he's been described as an ace special teams player. So even if he can't beat out a killer Witherspoon or Trey flowers or Pierre Desir or whoever it is for that starting outside spot, still going to help your team a lot on special teams. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, this is a guy that as pro day ran a four, four, two, but he has a lot of confidence in his speed. He felt that he uh, could have run a four, two or four, three. Um, but you know, he, he's, been outspoken about wanting to race DK Metcalf uh, and stuff like that. And honestly, while, the, while that may be laughable at, at, at first, or at least at face value, he might have a pretty good argument for that because, you know, so they do next gen stats, right? But they also do next gen stats for college. Mm-hmm. He has the highest top speed ever in the Big 12 championship game in 2019, faster than Tyreek Hill who had the previous record at 23.24 miles per hour. He had, he hit 23.3 chasing down a receiver uh, against Baylor in that game. Uh, the dude is incredibly fast. Um, you know, he's an incredible gunner uh, and he's also, you know, returned kicks as well uh, and been pretty good at it. So that kind of, again, plays into the whole, um, you know, emphasis on on special teams and an emphasis on the return game that that the Seahawks have had here. Because let's let's face it, right? Seahawks return game has been relatively non-existent for years now, pretty much since Tyler Lockett got injured. They, you know, because he was such an effective kick returner, and obviously kick returns with all the rules in place now and everything have kind of diminished, but. That was, you know, the last guy that they had that was truly a home run hitter. And then Lockett gets hurt. And then before that, you know, Golden Tate was, I mean, you look back at, at the, the punt returners they've had, Golden Tate is pretty much it after Leon Washington. It's pretty much their only noteworthy punt returner. They got some, they got some production out of DJ Reed. How dare you overlook the great Brian Walters? I think that was his name. Uh, yes. Kickoff extraordinaire. <laughs> Average like two and a half yards per return. Um, in 20 I mean, he was, was safe. That? To be fair to him, he was safe. 
uh, because he at least caught the ball, which was, uh, you couldn't say that about Earl Thomas and his one, <laughs> one game uh, tryout there. Uh, I believe yeah, that, that was, was against the stupid. Packers on the on opening night. Na- on opening night, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that was always um, stupid. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it, they have options here, and the options mm-hmm. span well beyond Trey Brown and, and Dwayne Eskridge. You look at some of the undrafted guys; you know, they they prioritize Connor Weddington. Tacoma native out of out of Stanford, um, you know, Kate Johnson has had a lot of success uh, returning kicks, and I he honestly kind of reminds me of Golden Tate a little bit the way he moves, and I think that might be applied to punt returns. Um, so that would be an interesting one. You know, they they have options now, and obviously David Moore is gone, so that was their primary punt returner. I don't know if they'll continue to let DJ Reed. Uh, fill that role because now he's you know the 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 guy at right cornerback um you know but i i think you know it's pretty much out of the question now that guys like travis homer are going to be returning kicks thank god which i mean yeah there was barely any upside there Um, it was really the only actually it was really the only thing missing from your special teams unit last year was just that return threat. Um, yeah. Because coverage was outstanding, the kickoffs were outstanding, the punting was outstanding, uh, you know, your place kicking was outstanding. Um, you just didn't quite have that game breaker back there. Um, and now with Eskridge and Brown or one of them, um, you know, you add competition to that spot, but you also add legit explosion and. You know, it, I I would rather not risk DJ Reed returning kicks. That's a dangerous spot, um, and Reed is you know far and away your best corner. So for the same reasons, I wouldn't want Earl Thomas back there. I, I don't want DJ Reed back there. So right. um, you know, it could be Eskridge, it could be Brown, it could be Weddington. Uh, we'll see. Kate Johnson. We'll see who it is. But the fact that they have multiple options, so that they don't even have to consider guys like Travis Homer. That is, uh, that's great. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote an article about that yesterday. So if you guys want some more, uh, you know, information, some more numbers on, on, on that and kind of how the Seahawks did and how they fared, uh, as of late, uh, you can check that out on, on Seahawk Maven. But yeah, I think they, you know, overall they, they have a, a, a plethora of, of options here. Uh, and, they're not they're going to land someone that's going to give them a lot more upside out of that spot i i'm pretty excited to see how that all pans out i think that's going to be one of the more fun uh competitions to watch as uh you know camp goes along and uh, assuming you know preseason games are actually going to be played uh so yeah that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on uh but trey brown you know you you look at that speed um that's a guy that, that could really do some damage at a bunch of different spots for you, um, you know, along with Eskridge. You know, and, and that's that's the thing that I really like about this draft for the Seahawks is that they got guys that are not confined to just one thing, mm-hmm. right? They, they do a lot of different things. They can contribute in a lot of different ways. So even if maybe they lack in one department that, they, that you were hoping in, they'll produce for you in another. And you kind of said that with, with Trey Brown, that if he does initially lose out on the starting spot, whether that's, 
you know, because of how he performs or just because the Seahawks are uncomfortable with playing two shorter corners on the outside, whatever that may be, um, you know, he can still produce for you on special teams. He's still, you know, he could be an excellent kick returner, punt returner, whatever it may be. So, you know, I, I really like that aspect of, of the Seahawks draft strategy. Um, let's move on to the final pick here. Uh, so, you know, like I like I said at the top of the show, and, and John and Pete were were very uh, were very open about this that they were kind of building day three around drafting Stone Forsyth at some point. Uh, Steve Hutchinson went down to Florida and worked him out. Uh, was incredibly impressed. You know, Hutch is now. Um, a consultant, a football consultant for the Seahawks. Um, and, and they really took that and ran with it. Uh, you know, and this guy is a, is a monster. He's six foot eight, 307 pounds. Uh, the dude just gets after it. And this is something that we've talked about quite a lot in the build up to this, uh, into the draft. I, I've written about it quite a bit. Um, you and I have talked about this a lot on the, on the show, you know, left tackle being a spot that they could, focus on maybe even early in the draft they ended up not doing that but they do come away with a guy that potentially is Dwayne Brown's heir apparent possibly as soon as next year Dwayne Brown obviously in the last year of his deal we'll see if he can wants to continue playing and I assume if he does want to continue playing that's going to be in Seattle um, but Forsyth is also a guy that you know a lot of scouts think is probably better suited for the right side so you know, depending on what happens here with Brandon Shell, and you know, that's a whole another can of worms to open there is that the Seahawks don't seem very committed to Brandon Shell. They Pete Carroll has mentioned Cedric Abwehi multiple times and yeah. in somebody has to explain that to me. Like, I, yeah, I, I really I really don't get why people decided to make, you know, um, Brandon Shell the the target of their rage, or maybe it's just a a motivation thing or something. I, I don't know, but Shell was pretty good last year, so I, I, I really don't understand the uh, the rush to push him out the door. Um, because it kind of seems like that, and I wrote about that as well the other yeah. day. That it just it's really strange because when he was on the field, and of course he had the ankle issue, and he landed on the COVID list because of a close contact and all that. But I mean. He was on the field for 11 games and he was pretty darn good. And, you know, uh, uh, boy, he was also really good in place of him, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Aside from the, uh, aside from the Philadelphia game, but, um, <laughs> I just asked for that one, I guess. Yeah. And that, and that was the first game that he started in as well. Yeah. The other three, you know, he's playing against the Rams and the 49ers and, and Washington. I think Washington's probably the most, uh, impressive performance of his, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I I don't think that Shell is necessarily on the bubble, but I think he does have a short leash. It it feels like the way they're building this up, Shell's going to be a potential you know surprise camp cut. Um, like if Forsyth comes in and they really like what they see from him, and, and it looks like a boy he is uh, taking a step forward, um, then they very well might just cut um, because it, it, they did sign an interesting another interesting right tackle um you know it, or potential right tackle in undrafted free agency and we'll talk about him in a minute um mm. but yeah I, I don't understand why brandon shell is just like being forced out the door because shell was good last year i mean 
so is Abuehi, and Abuehi's a little bit cheaper, but they both have one year on their deal. Unless you're going to cut Brandon Shell and use that money to sign, I don't know, a pass rusher or, or Richard Sherman or whatever. Like I, can't do it, I, right? I yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand the. I, I guess Brandon Shell's the guy we have to hate now. Is that who we're blaming for the playoff loss, Brandon Shell? I mean, I. I always thought that Russell's frustrations were towards Ethan Posick because he had an abysmal game against yes, the Rams he did. in that wildcard game. He did, um, but he was also playing hurt. Um, yeah. So I just, so, I, I kind of always felt that that's what that was, right? He was also you know, that, playing next what, to Jordan Simmons. Yeah. So, but I, mean, I, I just, yeah, yeah. I no, just kind of always thought, I, I assume that's what it was, but yeah, I, I'm really surprised uh, here with the with the Brandon Shell stuff because, again, like you said, he you know arguably had the best year of his career uh, with the Seahawks last year and uh, graded out really well as a pass protector, was eh, as a run blocker, uh, which is you know kind of a, a knock on on Stone Forsyth's game a lot as mm-hmm. well because he really didn't have to do that much at Florida. No. You know they passed a, a ton. Yeah, that's a self-admitted knock too. By the way, on Forsyth, he came out and said mm-hmm. that, said the same thing himself. That you know he's a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Yeah. But you know, just to kind of push the conversation away from Brandon Shell for a little little bit here, um, you know, Forsyth has a big wingspan. It's eighty three and a half inches. Um, sorry, eighty three and a quarter inches wingspan. Like you said, he's six foot eight, but he's only three hundred seven pounds. Um, you know, he's pretty agile. He had a good 40 yard dash. He had a really good 20 yard split. Um, you know, he had a fantastic three cone drill, 83rd percentile and three cone 74th percentile and 20 yard shuttle. Uh, he's above average strength. I, I wonder if this is again, another nod to Shane Waldron, uh, in his offense where, length is a little bit more important on the tackles because you're running all these stretch plays, right? And you got to be able to get outside and get to your hands on these guys who are playing, you know, outside your, your outside shoulder. You have to get your hands on them to set up the, you know, to set up the running lane. So I'm wondering if his arm length is, you know, when he says, I'm not, I'm better as a pass blocker than I'm a run blocker. Well, one of the things that we heard about this, uh, Rams offense is that it's supposed to be make it's supposed to make um, being an offensive lineman easy, right? It's easier for offensive linemen to play in this style. They don't have to do as much. They don't have to think as much. They just react. And when you start running these jet sweeps and these end arounds and these you know the stretch play and all that stuff, you need length on the outside. And Forsyth definitely has that. Um, not really sure what Brandon Shell's measurables are in that regard. Or Cedric Abuehi, for that matter. So maybe it's just because Shell doesn't have like super long arms. I I, I don't know exactly, but um, it it Forsyth's uh, length probably is going to help him in the run game in a new offense. And if if that's the case, then you'd much rather have you know you'd much rather have a guy with uh, with pass blocking skills than run blocking skills in this particular offense. So another little nugget of information we got out of the uh, offensive line is that Damian Lewis is moving over to the left mm-hmm. guard uh, with Gabe Jackson sticking at right guard, which is surprising. Um, yeah. 
Jackson, uh, in his first two years of his NFL career, played at left guard, and those were arguably the best two years of his career. Um, and he's, you know, you look at Jackson, and this is a guy that has struggled in a zone scheme. He's more of a power first uh, type of blocker. Um, and, you know, we kind of assume that with Waldron coming in, that there's going to be a lot more wide zone stuff and um, going to be interesting to see how, how that's kind of all applied here with, with Jackson. But, um, you know, you do have to kind of wonder if the acquisition of Jackson was more or less a, 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 just a, a result of circumstance of them striking out on, on Tooney and, and uh, Kevin Zeitler or this is actually a guy that they see, you know, fits what they actually, what they want to do. And, and that I would assume is probably more of an indication that they're not going for as much of a, you know, change to their run game. Um, so we'll have to see, but yeah, Damian Lewis, you know, a year after playing really well, uh, at right guard for the most part, um, you know, he earned all rookie honors, uh, mm. all that stuff. Um, you know, we, we had talked about a possible position change for him, but we thought if that was going to happen, it was probably going to be the center if they had drafted another guard. Uh, but they're moving him to left guard, which is, you know, again, pretty, pretty surprising. We thought Jackson was going to go over to the left side. Uh, it seemed to be the kind of the initial indication from the team as well. But uh, yeah, uh, so Damian Lewis now on the left side, Gabe Jackson on the right. Playing next to which Brandon Shell for now, we'll, <laughs> we'll see. see. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, you, you start Gabe Jackson. At least to me, my understanding is that he's a better pass blocker now than he is a run blocker, which I think is true for um, you know pretty I much mean, all of these guys, right? And so it's kind of another indicator here that you know, hey, this new offense is going to provide you know easier run block assignments for these guys who aren't necessarily great run blockers that's not to say they're bad um, but they're better at pass blocking so how do we mitigate you know their their deficiency as a run blocker well we we put a really simple scheme in there where they don't have to do nearly as much makes sense right so if it's kind of was interesting uh, Damian Lewis being the one to switch over I kind of get it Jackson is the vet um, you know, he's comfortable there, but eh, it, it was, it was definitely interesting. You know, it, it was, I, I don't want to say it was eye opening, but it, it was certainly not something you expected to hear because I think, you know, our assumption and pretty much everybody's assumption all along was that Gabe Jackson's going to be left guard. You're going to put him next to Dwayne Brown and, uh, he's going to help out, um, Ethan Posick or Kyle Fuller, whoever the young center is. Um, and that was going to be that. And you can keep Damian Lewis in a spot that he's really comfortable and he played really well in. And Seattle said, nope. So um, ultimately, it might not be a big deal. Or maybe it is. Who knows? But uh, yeah, that was definitely something that uh, one of the, I don't want to say one of the few nuggets from their post-draft conference, but that was one of the ones that had the most importance to the upcoming year, I would say. So uh, yeah, that was definitely uh, interesting to hear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so 
to uh, before we tie a bow on this one, let's talk a little bit more about these undrafted guys. I mentioned Cade Johnson. I mentioned Connor Weddington. Uh, there's a lot of fun names in here, and you know the Seahawks. They had said that they expected to be a uh, pretty attractive um, landing destination, uh, considering that they only had three picks and have a ton of roster spots uh, to offer these guys and actual real opportunities to offer these guys to, to make an NFL team. And uh, that showed through uh, for sure. They, they got a, quite a few guys that had draftable grades that we had talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I mean, where do you want to start here? Because there's a lot of cool uh, players t- uh, to talk about. Um, you know, which, which ones are, are, are kind of jumping out to you? So I say we just I have a list here. I'm just going to run down them. I have the full list. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and so I'm just going to roll with how they appear on this list and we'll just run down them. Some will have more to say than others. Um, but the first guy on my list is uh, Mississippi state offensive lineman, Greg Island. Mm-hmm. What do you know about him? Anything? Um, not a ton. Uh, I know that he, he did have a draftable grade that, that, uh, he, he was kind of in the mix there for a sixth, seventh round pick. Um, I know he's big. I know he's like six, six seven. Eight. Yeah. Um, like 320 pounds, something like that. Um, pretty raw. Um, that's, that's about as much as I, I, I know, um, about him, but I know that's a guy that definitely garnered some buzz and is kind of one of the bigger, more recognizable names on this list. Sure. Uh, what I could find is that he is uh, about six, seven and a half, six, eight, 335 pounds, long arms, 37 inch arms, 88.34 or 88 and three quarters wingspan. Um, you know, to put that in perspective, what do we say that four size was 84 inches wingspan. So massively long arms, another, huh? Look at that. More long arm tackles for the Seahawks. Um, he is apparently, uh, he also started all four years at Mississippi state. So he played in the sec and he started games at both tackle and guard. So kind of a versatile, long, uh, well-seasoned offensive lineman here in Greg Island. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah, all I got. Then, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then they, they added a couple of other, um, you know, intriguing linemen here, uh, yeah. Jake Curhan out of California yep. uh, six grade. foot six yep yeah another guy that that had some draft buzz uh, another you know big dude six six believe he clocked in around 315 something like that pounds um, mm-hmm. he, 83 uh, and a half inch wingspan mm-hmm. uh, I also believe he uh, he had you know he, he played really well in the pack 12 um, I believe he he was all pack 12 or at least like somewhere in there second team something like that um, but he uh, yeah he's another interesting guy that um, that could definitely uh, play into that mix there you know for guys like Jamarco Jones um, a lot of a lot of competition there um, definitely no no guarantees for for a guy like Jamarco Jones to make this team Um um, who else jumped out to you though? Uh, you know, Jared Hawker is another guy that I was interested in. Um, yep. Another SEC tackle, uh, another 
long-armed wingspan guy, 81, point, 81 and one-eighth inch, 83rd percentile in wingspan. So yeah. Seattle appears to have a type here with their tackles. Mm-hmm. Another long-armed dude, um, played a lot of football. Uh, he's He's got a shot here. Um, I'm going to assume they probably play him uh, on the inside. Um, I feel like left guard might be a solid spot for him. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly interesting that I mean, like I said, he's got the long tackle arms, and typically when you move a guy inside, it's because he doesn't have the arm length you want. Not really an issue here, but you look at the tackle group that Seattle has. I mean, they're not going to carry nine right. tackles. <laughs> you know, um, right. and we feel pretty good that they're going to, they're going to carry Dwayne Brown and stone Forsyth. At least I think they, they're going to carry stone Forsyth. Um, certainly not a guarantee he makes the team, but I mean, I think with how much they, they, you know, they went after him in this draft. I, I don't think there's anything he can do no. that gets him off of this team. No, but yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think they move, I think they move him inside, uh, Hawker inside. Uh, at least to, to start. Um, but again, I think he's versatile enough and he's got the arm length to play right tackle. Um, he's, he's an interesting, he's definitely, you know, definitely a draftable grade, just like your hand, probably a sixth, seventh rounder. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was a fourth rounder. Um, unlike, you know, two other guys we're probably going to talk about here real quick. Um, but yeah, it was six, seventh round, uh, you know, guys and they, they snagged two of them, three of them, uh, mm-hmm and a possible center even in Pierre Oliver Lestage. Yes. The, the guy uh, from Canada. Yes. I, I know you're oh, a huge fan on Canada. him and you've watched. <laughs> I, obviously, as a fellow Canadian, you know a ton about this guy. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Pierre. I'm going to pronounce it, by the way. I don't care how you actually pronounce it. I'm pronouncing it. Pierre Oliver Lestage. <laughs> Lestage. Um, yeah, he Lestage. sounds like a detective. Yeah, Lestage, uh, Detective Lestage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Lestage. yeah, I, I have no idea <laughs> what this guy has to offer. I've uh, obviously I've seen the clips that everyone else has, yeah. you know, and he he he, he bangs around there. Uh, he's played Possible all five center. spots, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, or at least has some experience at all five spots uh, throughout his his amateur career but um yeah you know six uh six three 305 pounds i believe and then you know you look at the competition that he has i mean i'm not sold on ethan Posick. i've been very open about that mm-hmm. kyle of kyle fuller was a mess in the one game that he played in mm-hmm. uh, non-zero chance he makes the team yeah he's got a uh, shot so you know i honestly like <laughs> if we're being real here uh just uh, how I feel about Ethan Posick, I'd say I wouldn't put a non-zero chance on him starting, <laughs> uh, you know, Lestage um, at some point. I just, the center position could get really ugly really quick for the Seahawks. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm i not too worried about it, to be honest with you. By the way, how funny would it be if Seattle in their history had a center named Lemuel Jean-Pierre and another one? Um, and another no another one named Pierre Oliver Lestage like the, the best center names in NFL history right there those two yeah Mule Jean-Pierre and Pierre Oliver 
<laughs> Some pretty good linemen have come out of uh, Canada as well. You think about, uh, you know, Duvernay Tardif, uh, you know, for the Chiefs and all that. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, obviously we, we haven't seen a, a ton on this guy and not a lot of scouts have even really seen a ton on him. So, um, yeah. to say the, that's that's kind of the wild card here because, mm-hmm. I mean, everything you see, you, you, it looks like he can play, but also he's going up against, you know, Canadian football players who do they even have a shot at the CFL, let alone the NFL? Uh, I mean, yeah. To, but no, this guy was was drafted tenth overall by uh, I believe the Montreal Owlets um, mm. in the CFL draft. So. Um, Again, I don't know enough about the CFL. I'm probably going to have to learn because it sounds like they're going to merge with the XFL. Um, if you guys don't know this about me, I'm a huge Seattle Dragons fan. So, Dracarys, let's go. Um, but uh, I- I'm sure, you know, uh, we want to get to those wide receivers because there's three of them and they all are kind of different. But uh, just real fast here, um, I wanted to mention uh, Brian Mills. Yeah, so there's a couple other guys I want to talk about. Though. Yeah. Um, so Brian Mills is one of them because that's a guy that, you know, after the senior ball, seemed like he might have had some day two buzz, right? And then, or at least leading into the senior ball, and then the senior his performance at the senior ball was not great. Uh, at least in one on ones, he was not fantastic. Uh, and then you know it, it seemed like all right, let's let's pump the brakes here. He's probably more of a sixth, seventh round guy at best. Uh, he ends up going undrafted, but I mean, you look at the size; he's very much a sea hockey corner. Um, I believe uh, the the arm length uh, is a little bit lacking, right? Uh, I think he's at thirty two, straight up. So. Okay, okay, so he, he made it to thirty two. Yeah, you know. no. Um. You know, overall, though, uh, you know, I, I I was intrigued by him at first in the process. I didn't. But then I, I once he kind of fell off, I, I, I stopped doing my research on him. Um, so I'm going to have to look more into him again. But I know he was a guy that, you know, small school, but was uh, generating some some buzz there. Uh, so that's an interesting pickup for them. Um you know, Josh Johnson, the running back out of Louisiana Monroe, this is a guy that Corbin and I interviewed yesterday, and um, he's really, you know, taken Seahawks Twitter by by storm um, with just, you know, kind of interacting with everyone. Uh, Playing with fire. I believe, yeah, yeah. The uh, Seahawks Twitter elites, I believe, is their, yeah. their group name. Uh, and he, uh, he joined that group and uh, said what's up to them and they're kind of just the huge Josh Johnson fans now he's he's a guy that's very much inspired by uh, Marshawn Lynch but you know he yep. also told us uh, yesterday that he loved Sean Alexander yeah and that's where his that. love for the Seahawks kind of kind of began um, you know, and, you know he's, a, he's from Alabama uh, so that, that makes a, a lot of sense there and um, you know it, he, he's a guy that he's a fun player kind of Kind of like Chris Carson, you know, um, doesn't, you know, doesn't shy away from contact, but has that agility, has an, has a knack for breaking some ankles every now and then. Um, and this is a guy that almost put up 1300 yards, uh, just a year ago. Um, so, yeah. you know, he had COVID, I, he, he had COVID going into the season last year. 
Um, and then he had a hamstring injury, so he only had 88 carries uh, last year. But the year before that, he was an absolute monster at Louisiana, at Louisiana Monroe. Mm-hmm. He had a draftable grade uh, at the end of last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then obviously, like I said, COVID and an ankle injury. We know how hard it is to get drafted as a running back if you're not one of the elite guys, anyways. So, um, but you watch you watch some of the very limited highlights you can find on him. I mean, shocking, I know, but Louisiana Monroe games not that easy to find. Um, he runs a lot like Chris Carson. <laughs> it's a very similar style. Um, so yeah, it's it's cool that you guys got to talk to him, and it, it's. It's interesting that he's willing to play with the fire that is Seahawks Twitter. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he fully understands what he's just walked into, but uh, <laughs> I hope he makes the team and uh, and he continues to learn because uh, you you watch like I said you watch what he can do. This is one of those guys who's going to go into the preseason and like he's going to be like, oh well, you have to find a way to get this guy on the team, um, and then he probably ends up on a practice squad. But I think he's going to be a star in the preseason. Um, mm-hmm. He's definitely got to watch. Well, and if you're Travis Homer or DJ Dallas, I mean, you got to come with your A game right now uh, because this is a guy that is definitely going to push them. Um, and I think we well, you know, know Seattle what, was looking at running backs too, veterans even. Gio Bernard yep. was almost a Seahawk. So, yeah, if you're DJ Dallas and, and Travis Homer, you know, get to work. And then, uh, you know, B.J. Emmons, uh, another running back that they signed, a uh, former um, Alabama uh, recruit, um, ended up transferring to, I believe, Florida Atlantic. Uh, didn't have a great collegiate career, but uh, they, clearly, uh, yeah, they clearly, yeah, they clearly like what uh, what's there, and uh, they're going to give him a shot uh, to compete as well. But, yeah, I think Josh Johnson, I mean, that's one of the few guys here. Uh, and there's quite a few guys that are, that are going to uh, compete for a spot. And, you know, another guy that I want to talk about is Jared Hewitt out of Virginia Tech, uh, because defensive tackle is not a, a, a great position of depth for the Seahawks right now. You know, they, they cut Jaron Reed. Um, they have, you know, Puna Ford locked down for two more years. They sign Al Woods. And then behind those two guys, they have Brian Monet, who has played fairly well in limited snaps over the last two years. And Cedric Lattimore, who had a really good debut, ironically, in the wild card game. But, you know, that's one game, right? We don't know uh, really much about Cedric Lattimore. So, uh, they Jared Hewitt's a guy that had nine and a half sacks uh, over the last two years uh, at Virginia Tech. And that's pretty good pretty good conference he's playing in as well uh so you know that's that's nothing to bat an eye out uh you know i think you get him in at at three tech with that pass rushing ability that might that might be something there with your hewitt um so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm pretty intrigued to see what he's able to do uh this offseason or this uh this summer as well and then um john radigan yeah yeah, this is a guy that, I mean, you look at their linebacking core, they they really didn't have a whole lot, um, you know, aside, you know, obviously they, they, they have Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks as their two starters right at the top, but Cody Barton for now is likely the, the starter at Sam linebacker. That's unacceptable. That's <laughs> uh, we'll absolutely see if, unacceptable. 
we'll see if they uh, we'll see if they move Daryl Taylor over there. That's something that I've written about and something that Pete's now talked about a little bit. Just, just go sign KJ. <laughs> just, yeah. So the, there's, just, just go do that, please. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and by the way, the Cowboys drafted two top linebackers on the draft. Mm-hmm. They drafted Micah Parsons. They drafted Jabril Cox. So the Cowboys, who were the, the likeliest destination for KJ Wright, pretty much off the table at this point. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, they get three linebackers over the last five days with Radigan, uh, Aaron Donker, who's a, you know, the, the German uh, player that they were allocated through the international pathway program. Um, that's a guy that, that has really tooled up um, and they seem pretty excited about him, I, but we don't really have a, a ton of time to talk about him. I, I don't think he can even play this year, though. He like, he can if he makes the team, but oh, if he's okay. if he's placed on the practice squad, if they use the practice squad exemption that they're given, he cannot play. Okay, so it's either you make the first round of fifty three, or you're on the practice squad all year. I, if they use the exemption, I think if they do just if he's just one of the ten guys that they're allotted, then they I think, can call him up whenever. I think so. I believe okay. so. There's not a whole ton of public information about yeah, how all that works. Yeah. So, but I, I know that if he if they use the exemption on him, the eleventh man exemption or whatever it is, then um, he cannot be called up for the whole year. Gotcha. By the way, uh, worth noting, Radigan is going to need a waiver from the Pentagon. If you guys don't know, he uh, he played at Army. So right. um, he's going to need a waiver from the Pentagon uh, to kind of defer his, his required service. Um, lately, they've been giving those out, but, you know, you never really know. But uh, still, it's right. cool. Army guy, West Point, West Point guy, Sam linebacker possibility, uh, and probably would be a pretty good special teams player. Honestly, kind yep. of puts Cody Parton on the hot seat a little bit. Um, very similar type of uh, roles that they would fill. So we'll see. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see with that. Um, you know, they also got Nate Evans, who was a really good player at UCF uh, in 2018 and 2019. Uh, he was just cut by the Jaguars and they picked him up off a of waiver. So they have a little bit more linebacker depth now, mm-hmm. but obviously uh, you just signed KJ. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about these receivers before we hop off here, because this is uh, a really interesting receiver group. Uh, Pretty much four guys uh, are already locked into into spots at receiver. So these guys are going to be competing for about one to two more spots, uh, presumably, along with the likes of Aaron Fuller, Cody Thompson, Darvick Kinsey, um, Perry, uh, Penny, Penny Hart. Yeah, John Ursua. Um, so, a lot of a lot of guys, <laughs> a lot of guys to uh, to compete with. Um, but you know, they they get Tamori and Terry out of Florida State, who's six three, over two hundred pounds, and he runs a four four. I mean, that's pretty nice. And he was a college producer as well. Um, pretty surprised, honestly, that he ended up going undrafted. He was a definitely a mid round guy. It seemed like. Even in this, even in this deep of a of a receiver class, but uh, he makes it through, and the Seahawks take advantage. Yeah, um, fun note on him. Uh, much like DK Metcalf, his three cone and twenty yard shuttle times, not good, <laughs> not good at all. Unlike DK Metcalf, he doesn't jump out of the gym 
um, his vertical jump was was quite disappointing at his pro day. Only 32 inches, but uh, right. You put on the tape. He's big. He's strong. He's fast. Struggles with some drops every once in a while, but uh, yeah, he. <laughs> you know, I, I think you and I talked about Jalen Camp as kind of a guy. If you're going to take a late round guy, he's big, strong, fast, and you just kind of hope you can teach him to be a wide receiver. I think Terry's kind of similar, although he definitely has more uh, more of a track record than Camp even. So, right. but uh, yeah, put on that highlight tape, and you're like, yeah, this guy probably fourth, fifth round pick. Um, and yet there he was. He was the first one too, the first one that was announced. Yep. And uh, then there's Connor Weddington. Uh, out of Stanford, who uh, is returning to uh, to Seattle, um, and uh, he um, with uh, with Stanford, he was the primary kick returner, um, and had had some contributions on uh, on offense as well. Very very minor, but some contributions. I believe he uh, he have like over fifty receptions in twenty nineteen. Uh, yeah, I think so. His his. His, uh, you read his like profile and you see the term ace special teamer a lot. So that's right. where he's going to try and make this team. Is that in the yeah. special teams unit? Yeah. So, uh, and that was a guy that they kind of prioritized um, in, uh, in undrafted free agency. But the, the guy that I'm obviously really excited about is Kate Johnson um, mm-hmm. out, of, out of South Dakota State. I mean, <laughs> This is a guy that I thought was probably going to go in the third round, um, fourth round at the latest. Uh, had a fantastic senior bowl, but his pro day was rough. Oh, um, so bad. It's It was really rough, um, particularly the broad jump, the vertical jump. But, you know, you look at this guy when he's on the field, and this is kind of what I wrote in... Um, in the, the article that that a lot of you uh, read, um, that you know, he some guys are just gamers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, DK Metcalf is is definitely a gamer, <laughs> and uh, you know, and obviously he's a he's a rarity. Um, he's a one of one, pretty much. But you know, Johnson's a guy that, and yeah, it's it's at South Dakota State, whatever. But twenty eight touchdowns. <laughs> in three seasons um he averaged nearly 10 yards uh, after the catch uh throughout his collegiate career and pretty much he was only you know two of those seasons it was only two of those seasons that he was actually getting starting snaps right um his his first year he was primarily a kick returner at south dakota mm-hmm. state uh but this is a guy that i mean there are a couple of seahawks former seahawks receivers that you could comp this guy to the popular one has been Doug Baldwin, but I honestly see a little bit more of golden Tate in him. Um, Tate obviously had a little more weight on his, uh, on his bones, but, uh, you know, coming out, but, uh, both, both, you know, five, nine, five, 10, or sorry, five, 10, um, you know, Cades, uh, I, I believe he, he came in at like 184, uh, yeah, like 184, 185. Uh, in, his, in his measurements, uh, but you know he's an incredible route runner. Um, works great along the sideline. Um, 
doesn't drop many passes. I think he had seven drops in his whole career. Uh, and that's on 200 something targets. He was targeted a lot, uh, in, in, you know, that short amount of time. Um, their season got canceled due to COVID. He tried, he entered the transfer, uh, transfer portal, but he ended up just deciding to go to the NFL. Um, and unfortunately it doesn't pay off for him that great. Um, because he, he ends up going undrafted in the, you know, the pro day pretty much killed him. Plus the, you know, the weight, uh, issue, but you know, weight something that can be fairly fixable, especially if it's gaining weight, um, you know, especially under an NFL regimen, um, as long as he takes to it, but you know, he's a, he's someone that can run a, you know, back end of a four, four, um, I believe he ran a four, four, nine at his pro day, which was one of the fairly good, um, you know, fairly fair positives out of his, uh, out of his pro day performance. But, um, you know, just for what he can do after the catch and for the route running ability. Um, and you know, I talked about this earlier in the show, what he could potentially give you on, uh, punt returns. There's just so much to like here. I think, you know, I, well, I wrote this, that he's probably the, at the top of, um, the food chain here in terms of the, uh, the guys that are on the bubble, uh, the receivers that are on the bubble. Uh, I think he's, he immediately shoots up to the top over guys like Aaron Fuller and Cody Thompson, all those guys that have been, you know, even Penny Hart who, who played a little for the Seahawks last year. Uh, I think he's at the top there now. Um, and we'll see how that changes, uh, in terms of, you know, we'll, we'll see if they sign anyone else. There isn't a whole lot out there now at the receiver mm-hmm. position, but, um, yeah, I to me, I would be if if the if the receiver um, if the receiving core stays relatively intact from here on out, um, you know, up until up until camp, I would be very surprised to to see Kate Johnson get cut if he um, if he shows anything of of what he showed at the Senior Bowl. Which again, at the Senior Bowl, he dominated, especially. In one on ones, he was incredible yeah. in the one on ones. His, if you guys are able to watch his, if you guys haven't seen his one on one tape yet, it's on YouTube. It is, <laughs> he embarrasses dudes. It's on filthy. That. Yeah, there, uh, he was the highest graded uh, player in the one on one segment. Um, and there's a, a tweet out there that I, I was trying to find. Um, and basically, what it is is it's four stills of Kay Johnson. Um, and the and the the caption is you know trying to cover Kate Johnson at the senior bowl. And in all four stills, a different DB is on the ground right as Kate Johnson has caught the football. Like, like he burnt these guys like bad toast. Um, He's got really good hands. Uh, He's a great route runner already. And basically it seems like the thing that kept him from being drafted was his pro day, which frankly is stupid. Um, I think NFL com had him as like the 16th or 17th best wide receiver in this class. Um, like he was, he's a legit talent here. Um, it's interesting to me that Seattle gave a lot more money to, to Weddington. Um, so if you're kind of, you know, trying to handicap these three wide receivers, um, I think Kay Johnson is the best between all three. And I'm not sure that it's all that close. But Weddington probably has the edge because he's a special team guy. Like, 
a legit special team guy. Some teams, some people have said an elite special teamer, and we know how important that is to Seattle. So, if I had to and guess, probably, probably two of these guys are going to make the team. I think I think they're going to carry six wide receivers. Um, yeah. You mentioned the four, and then uh, that would be obviously Lockett, Metcalf, Eskridge, and and Swain. Um, if I get to pick five and six today, um, if I get to pick, I'm picking Johnson and and Terry. Uh, but I think if the Seahawks were to pick today, they would take uh, they would take Johnson and Weddington. And Weddington. Yes. Um, but we'll see. Those three are going to have to ball out. Um, unfortunately, they'll have to deal with catching passes from Geno Smith again. Um, Seattle was not able to sign uh, Jamie Newman, um, which would have given them like an A++++. Uh, I would have had to invent a new letter grade uh, to give that signing. Um, but yeah, I, I think these three, just overall in free agency, it feels like Seattle got six or seven draftable guys in free agency mm-hmm. and a lot of these guys aren't going to make the team um, so we'll have to see how practice squads go I have a hard time believing that if Seattle cut Kay Johnson that he would clear waivers and get to a practice squad I just don't think that's going to happen yeah. Yeah. Um, especially once you get film of him in preseason games like the dude is just a football player um, you know we talk oh well he's only 184 pounds and he ran a 449 like you didn't realize how fast four four nine is. Like, do do we have we forgotten how fast that is? Yeah. Um, he reminds me a lot of Tyler Lockett, to be honest with you. Just even just the way he carries himself, the the play styles are similar enough that you can see it. But just kind of the way he carries himself and the way he approaches the game, there's a lot of Tyler Lockett in Kay Johnson. So, um, I hope he makes the team. I for the first time in a long time, I'm looking forward to preseason games because Seattle has legitimately fun players to watch in the second half mm-hmm. of those games because between yep. Terry and Weddington and, and Kate Johnson and Josh Johnson and, and, you know, Greg Island and, and Curhan and, and all the guys that we talked about, there's legitimate, you know, talent here. I mean, we, and, we, we talked about every single one of these guys that they mm-hmm. signed. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And that's not even mentioning, you know, Aaron Donker, who's, I mean, yep. they, they seem to really like it. Techni- technically, he's he's a rookie as well, so you kind of have to throw him into this rookie class. Um, mm-hmm. You know, overall, I think, you know, you, you look at this undrafted class and, and maybe you, you, you handpick a couple of these guys and, and throw them into, uh, you know, the, the draft class that they had, right? I mean, if I told you last week, you know, when we recorded the show uh, last Thursday, that the Seahawks were going to come out of this draft with Dwayne Eskridge, uh, Stone Forsyth, Trey Brown, Brian Mills, Kate Johnson, Tamori and Terry, and, you know, Greg Island, right? Mm-hmm. Or Jake Curhan, or pick a yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. Pick any of them. I, I mean, would have said that's a home I've, run draft. Yeah. And so, yeah, this, this is my favorite draft haul. Maybe since that 2012 team, or 2012 haul. Like, you know, it's tough. You don't you don't want to put that much pressure on it because I mean that that's one of the best classes of all time, the 2012. 
but just in terms of like excitement level in the past, they've drafted guys like Malik McDowell and Frank Clark. And I didn't want them to take either of those guys. Uh, they haven't had first round picks just like they didn't this year. They take Jordan Brooks. who was kind of weird. LJ Collier was kind of a weird pick. Rashad Penny was kind of a weird pick. So, you know, you just, you just look back at what, what the draft hall is here. And it's probably, in my opinion, I think this is going to be the best draft they've had since the 2012 draft. Um, doesn't mean it'll be as good. Uh, that would be basically impossible. Uh, but I like it. I like it a lot. Um, and like you said, they, if, if they had traded down a couple of times and they got Kay Johnson in the fourth and they drafted Stone Forsyth in the, well, they could have drafted him in the third and I would have gotten it, but they got him in like the fifth or whatever. And, and Tamori on Terry was the sixth round pick and blah, blah, blah. Pretty much build it any way you want. That's what a draft class is. It's not just the guys you draft. It's the guys you land in free agency. And we talked about Seattle getting what? Five, six, seven guys with draftable grades in undrafted free agency. That's a really good haul. And that's not counting, you know, the players that you got with the draft picks that you traded. The Jamal Adams, Carlos Dunlap, and Gabe Jackson picks. So to me, this is a home run draft. Um, I really like it. I'm not going to give it a grade, but I really like it. And I think it complements what they've done this offseason really well. And, you know, they, they still could add KJ. They still could add Sherm. They could add Geno Atkins, or they could add another edge guy, Justin Houston, or whoever it is. Um, so they're not done yet. or They don't have to be done yet, I should say. Um, but as things stand right now, I think this was a fantastic offseason. And if this is kind of it, this is, you know, how they roll into training camp. I'm really excited for this team. I think it's deep. I think it's faster. I think it's stronger. I think it's, you know, better schematically um, than it was a year ago. I'm really excited for this for this haul that Seattle has gotten this offseason. And it's really impressive when you consider how few resources they had to pull this off. And they just did it anyways. So that, that's a that's a credit to John Schneider and, you know, his entire staff, as well as the coaching staff. Um, it, it's been a fantastic offseason so far. And yeah, it might get better. I, I, yeah. And that's the thing is that, you know, they still have strings that they can pull to give themselves a little more uh, flexibility here to, to do some things. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. But overall, um, I think, you know, you, you got to feel pretty, uh, pretty satisfied with what they've been able to do, especially given the, the circumstances that they were working under. Uh, you know, the, the lack of financial support that they had, the lack of uh, draft capital that they had, they just... It wasn't a, a it wasn't a, a great outlook heading into this offseason and they've you know they bucked trend they've um, changed the, their philosophy in ways that have um, you know helped them do some things uh, and and they're being aggressive they're not sitting on their hands um, you know especially when the rest of their division is getting better you know the 49ers just got potentially a, a franchise quarterback the the Rams just traded for Matthew Stafford and they look ready to go and they just knocked you out of the playoffs the Cardinals have gotten better um, you know it's just it's it's a really tough division it's the toughest division in all all of football and perhaps all in all of sports really um, it's you know you, you got to come with your a game and you got to you got to be creative and they've done that They've mm-hmm. done that to the best of their ability now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, they didn't need to go out and hit a bunch of home runs, but they needed to go get guys that can help complement the superstars that they have. And I think they did that. 
you know, I think, you know, when you look at a Dwayne Eskridge and how that complements a DK Metcalf and a Tyler Lockett and a Russell Wilson, you know, that, that, that makes so much sense. So yeah. And in the end, I, I feel, um, very satisfied by what they've been able to do so far. So we'll see how that all, you know, plays out and how this is all going to work out towards, uh, towards training camp and, everything like that um you know preseason but a lot of guys to 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 keep an eye on a lot of guys to talk about a lot of guys to uh to be intrigued by um and uh you know this this is going to be a fun team to to see how it all comes together um before before that first game um and we'll we'll know what that first game is next week Uh, i believe the schedule releases on may 12th so uh yeah we'll uh We'll have to see how that all shakes out, but that's going to do it for us. I appreciate you guys listening to, uh, to us talk about the, uh, about the draft and, uh, what the Seahawks have done thus far and don't know when the, the next time is we'll, we'll be doing this. Um, you know, it's pretty much just when there's stuff to talk about, we'll do one of these. So there, if we feel there's enough, <laughs> if we feel that there's enough to talk about, maybe, maybe it's a, a schedule breakdown or something like that. Uh, so schedule comes out or something. Who knows? Yep. Um, whatever, you know, whenever uh, Colby and I pretty much feel like it, we'll do one of these. But, uh, you know, if you guys want to listen to us talk about baseball, uh, if you're a Mariners fan, uh, consider uh, checking out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash control the zone, uh, where we talk about the Seattle Mariners. You can follow us on Twitter at control the zone. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Gonzalez. That's D A N E G N Z L Z. You can follow Colby at CPAT 11 C P A T one, one. That's going to do it for us. So have yourselves a wonderful weekend. We'll see you guys whenever we see it. Peace. Peace. <laughs>